0: Get ready to roll, because we're about to go live in five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. <laughs> hey, i like to welcome everybody to the Source Podcast, where we talk everything working dogs. And this is a subject that I'm excited about. Not that I'm just excited about the subject, but I'm excited to what we're able to offer you as well. So at the end of the podcast, we're going to give you a resource that you can turn to. But the catch to that is got to stay to the end of the podcast to know what the, the free offer is. So uh, just adding one more element to what we do to bring relative and viable information to our dog people across the country, across the world, wherever we have viewers at and listeners. So I'm happy about that. This is what we've always wanted to come to is being able to teach. And we know that every guest that we have on every week Gives us that opportunity, but it's an opportunity for you to learn one thing, and that's what we always say with these podcasts: is that if we can teach one person one thing, we're happy. So not only am I on this podcast today, but I have the voice of my reason, my Simpson, with me today, and the great thing is uh, she's making her debut on a full length <laughs> episode of yeah. the Source, right? She's I'm like usually behind the, the camera. <laughs> right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Like so like this is the debut. I'm happy to discuss this topic with you because I know that it's an important topic that even just doing research that it's hard to find good guidance in that. And I know the number of people that have come to me and asked me to help them either find a dog or go with them on a visit to a breeder or what I thought about a trainer that maybe was in their area that they were going to use for a specific purpose. And, you know, because sometimes it just doesn't make sense to use us, even though we have great partnerships and great um, clients around the world. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it just makes more sense for you to use a local trainer. So for nothing else, find someone that you can trust and use our guide to to be able to help you to do that. So hopefully today we give you a little bit of clarity, some things you need to be looking for, some questions you need to be asking and be able to give you that guidance. And hopefully you think back to this podcast episode and either go back to it before you start calling around for trainers or you take the free offer that we're gonna give you at the end and use it, put it on your refrigerator, keep it by the phone, whatever you do. So. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So let's jump right in my, you know, today we're talking about how to select a trainer. You know, you can always go to a company like we have, and we have several trainers that work for us, but at the end of the day, you're generally going to deal with one. The advantage we have to having multiple trainers is the fact that we always bounce ideas off each other. Yep. Whenever, whatever dog we're working with or, whatever client that I'm working with or another trainer's working with, it's inevitable. We never get through a project, no matter how short, without discussing it with the rest of the team. And that's really what I love about our setup is that mm-hmm. we always have resources and we have great resources that have talents in many different areas of training that we can call on to say, what do you think about this? Or how would you approach this? And so it's the value add to the client in that regard. But at the end of the day, one client, one trainer. Yep. And so we want to discuss how do you pick that trainer? With yep. us, we do some of the analy- analyzing for the client and we say, this is the best trainer for the job, for what you're looking for. But, not everybody has that luxury so they're calling around they're trying to find somebody in their area they're like hey this is the first dog i've ever had to get trained so i need to source a trainer that can really help me so that's what we're talking about today everyone and we're gonna dig right in and get right into the subject matter and begin to delve into what it looks like when you start that journey of finding the train, the trainer for you for the first time, and if you've never explored this area, it's it could be quite overwhelming because, yep. you know, the internet is not always truthful, right? <laughs> hey,
1: look, I can say when I first started looking for a trainer for Dottie, you have like the big corporate franchises come up with um, group classes with all of these glowing reviews about how much it helped them, things like that. And then you've got, you know, Google listings where there's no phone number, no address, no website link, and it's just somebody's name. And you're like, who is this person? Where do I find them? How do I get in contact? So when I first started looking for a trainer, it was hard trying to nail down who is legitimate and who just decided one day, you know, (laughs) they were going to run training out of their house.
0: Yeah, because that's what a lot of people I don't think understand in our industry. And it's unfortunate. I will say that there's no standards, really. There's no oversight to somebody doing this. There's no standards of education per se. There's no board that you have to sign up for in order to meet the qualifications to be, to call yourself a trainer. Um, And it's kind of remarkable that it's such a booming industry yet. We don't have those standards. Now there are some licenses we'll talk about and things that, we're going to give you some advice on some things you need to look for, for legitimate trainers to try to help you navigate through the weeds, if you will. And by no means are we saying that when we make these points that this is the catch all be all, right? Right. right. Because I remember when I first started, because I needed experience after going to a trainer school I, for about two, two and a half years, I did pro bono work. Um, But I gave that kind of disclaimer up front. And and what I said was, hey, I want to train your dog. I want to help you. I'm not going to charge you for it because I'm gaining experience. Because of that, there's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some things that I may need to tap into some of my resources I may not have the answers to. But that's also why I'm not going to charge you. But if you'll give me the opportunity to train, and I went to friends of mine, I went to neighbors, I went to uh, associates of associates to say, hey, they want their dog trained. Can you help them? But I was very cautious about taking money from somebody, Mm -hmm. not being sure of my capabilities, even after attending a trainer school, even after going through a handler course. I still knew that I had a lot to learn. And You know, a professional is a professional, right? When you call yourself a professional, we are held to a different standard. And professionalism comes from the exchange of money, Mm -hmm. right? You're a high school athlete. You start getting paid. You're a professional athlete. So there's a vast difference there. And I wanted to make sure that I had the qualifications and the assurity that I could perform what I said I can perform as a trainer, Um, Because up until that point, I didn't feel right to take people's money and not feel confident in my abilities to do what they needed me to do. So I just made that clear up front. So diving into it, you had the opportunity to begin the search to find a trainer, right? So you see it from the client side. I see it from the business perspective. So we're going to touch on both areas, like what you should be looking for, you know, from that person as being established. So we're going to cover that. And then you're going to cover from a client side. And it's not just your perspective because you also did some research. You also talked to other people that have conducted searches for trainers. And you kind of put all this together in order for us to deliver to our listeners, Viable information and just not just outside of our opinions.
1: Absolutely. We're using
0: experience and we're using other people's experiences to, to try to give our listeners the guidance they're looking for. And that's sound guidance, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So like you said, I came across Custom Canine Unlimited originally because I was um, looking for a trainer for my dog and I really had no idea what I was looking for. Um, I knew that she had some resource guarding issues that I wanted addressed, and that's just not generally something that they address in like group classes, puppy classes, things like that. I had originally put her in um, a group class. I ended up taking her out of it because I saw that the, and this is personal to my dog. um, I saw that that was stressing her out more Being around all of the other dogs that are barking and hyping each other up and nobody has control of their dog in a group setting, especially, you know, eight to 12 month old puppies so I ended up deciding that one on ones were the best option for her and from there. um, I started looking at a few different companies and the biggest thing that drew me to CCU right out of the gate, they said Okay, you can bring her in for an evaluation and I was like. They want me to bring her in for an evaluation. What do they need to evaluate? Like, I just told them what's wrong with her. And then I went to the evaluation um, and the trainer who checked her over. First of all, the first thing he did was he like checked all over her body, which again, I was like, what is going on? (laughs) I was confused. And um, he explained to me the first thing that they're going to do that any trainer should do is see if there's any sort of like injury that could, you know, hinder the training, any broken teeth. Anything like that that could make their condition worse, whether that's health wise or behavioral, because um, those two can be interlinked sometimes, is what I found out. So that was the, kind of the first thing I noticed when I got there that day. But backing up a little bit, um, what I liked besides the evaluation, the vaccine requirements. So that again, completely new. The other company um, was a large corporation. And they required, I want to say just rabies, I believe. I could be wrong. Um, So whenever the kennel master was asking for, you know, vet records from her vet, not that I'm just like showing her on my phone, I was like, these people take it really serious. (laughs) I was was like, wow, this is really intense. (laughs) And then, you know, you find out really quickly that they have all of these steps for a reason. And that I, as the client at that time, I had no idea. Just how much goes into it and how much goes on in the background.
0: Let me just tell you for one, it's not nothing personal from you or your dog. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's our standards. Just put yourself in our shoes. I have XYZ client that complains that their dog got sick at our facility. Right. And they got sick from another dog at our facility. And I said, well. I can show you every dog that was in the facility while your dog was here. And they were all 100% fully vaccinated to include your dog. But then I had this one dog that I said, just take my word for it. This person gave the vaccinations properly. They adhered to all protocols of temperature and storage of those vaccines before they administered the vaccines and then on top of that they administered them to the dog properly please just take my word for that because this guy has told me that he's done them it's nothing personal but we want to give all of our clients the assurance that every dog that sets foot in this facility or in our kennel that they are fully 100 vaccinated but also my one thing that i don't think you even know the other reason remember i have trainers that we pay to deal with dogs and if they get bit by your dog we also have to give them the assurance that this dog is fully vaccinated as well and a lot of people don't think about that,
1: yeah, I didn't if, think they, about that.
0: if they get bit and they got to go through rabies treatments or other things to ensure i mean that's that's a hardship that one of our staff members have to go through so it's just as important on that case, as it is for all of our clients' dogs. And oftentimes we forget that, that there are communicable diseases that can be transferred over to a human. And we just wanna make sure based on our vet's advice that we adhere to the highest standards when it comes to medical care and and bringing dogs into our facility. Um, So yeah, sometimes it gets difficult because people don't understand, especially like you said, not knowing everything that goes into the background on making sure that we try to be as safe as possible for everybody.
1: Yeah. But I think also now, because that wasn't even something I considered uh, that a boarding facility or a training facility should have because of my lack of knowledge just in general. But now that I'm knowing what I know, when I look at other boarding facilities or anything like that, and I see their lacks requirements, I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, I don't know that that's somewhere now that I would feel comfortable with
0: yeah, it's like the safe driver, right? I don't care. Like, I feel like my like my kids are safe drivers, mm-hmm. but it's like you always are taught, right? It's not you you need to worry about. It's everybody else on the road. In order yeah. to be a, a, a good driver, you need to be paying attention to everybody else. And, you know, we just, for us, we want to give the assurance to each one of our clients that it's okay. I had a lady, actually, now that we talk about it, she ran a breeding facility. And she called and wanted to get her dogs into training. She wanted to do four weeks of boarding training, which, you know, as you know, is just over $3,000 to do that. And she did the same thing. I administer my own vaccines. And I said, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take them to the vet because that's the only way we'll take your dog. And she walked away. You know, it's very easy for me knowing that we got to meet budgets, right, that Well, let me work it out with you. Let me figure out what we can do. I said, no, I'm sorry. We can't. And obviously she wasn't happy. You know, ultimately we lose out on $3,000 because of $150 worth of vaccines, but it's worth it for us for the assurance of every other client that comes after her.
1: Absolutely. And that kind of goes into another thing that I absolutely look for um even just observing other people in the industry is just their health standards you know are they going to train a dog that obviously is injured and post it on social media (laughs) are they going to take the time to make sure the dog is properly taken care of like I remember uh, (laughs) a couple of weeks after I first started bringing Dottie the trainer actually I was really bad about cutting her nails she was still little I wasn't good at it and he I'd only been to maybe three sessions at that point and he was like hey you need to trim her nails and I was like oh, okay. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. Because that really, all of that goes into being a trainer. The health of the dog comes first hundred percent. And I have never felt like as a client and now as an employee, I have never felt like custom canine puts anything ahead of the dog's health ever, period, hands down, whether that's in the kennel or in the training field.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. Sometimes I remember getting a rescue in one time from another trainer that claimed he couldn't get the dog out of the crate. So I guess that also resulted in them not feeding the dog either, per se, and how underweight that dog was. And the dog wasn't even aggressive. And, you know, we kind of joked about, well, I would be pissed off in a crate where I'm not getting fed either, (laughs) right? Yeah. He's trying to bite you because he's hungry. (laughs) Like, feed the dog and take care of the dog. And it it just bewilders me how, as a trainer, you can see that every day. And I understand sometimes, you know, you don't notice things um, when something's going on because you're involved in it right there. But that's why you put protocols in place to help you to combat those things such as a weight management protocol where you weigh the dog every week where you have other people looking at the dog or when a client brings a dog every single session or a handler brings their dog out for a training session you are watching that dog specifically nose tail body coat nails teeth gait ears if the dog's head's twitching, it's pretty obvious that something's going on. So you may need to dig that d- dive in a little bit deeper to find out what's going on Why does that dog keep shaking its head. And you know, the more you do it, it becomes habit, but those are standards that, that we want you and each of our trainers to adhere to, because it prevents so much more for the client. So, Absolutely. you know, we also have learned over the years too, by some of our mistakes. And uh, that's probably the biggest feature, right, is Mm -hmm. mistakes. Uh, So I don't want to sit up here and talk and pretend like, oh, you know, everything's perfect and and all this by no means. But we should always learn from those mistakes to try to prevent them for someone else in the future. And these are just things that we've learned that we just we won't we won't budge on because it's for the well being of everybody involved. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, and that also goes into another thing that I looked for because I consulted with maybe three or four different trainers um, before choosing CCU. And one of the biggest yeah. things that I noticed was uh, big promises in such a short amount of time. Oh, I had one um, company tell me that they could get her resource guarding fixed. In two weeks, a two week board and train, and I had another company tell me there was absolutely no way they could get it done in that time. And I was looking at at least a month of board and train. And it was just one of the biggest things I found as I was searching was there were some people. It almost felt like they were blowing smoke a little bit. Hey, I can fix your resource guarding in two weeks, and you'll, you know, I'll send you home a perfect dog for X amount of dollars. And that just was not. Realistic, I knew right off the bat. Whereas when I reached out and did the evaluation for Dottie, um, the trainer actually told me he was like, "Hey, we can work through some stuff, but I can't give you, you know, a timeline for when this is going to be fixed. Um, you know, I have to see her at the facility. I have to come and see her in your home, in her natural environment, like where she's at." And they just the trainers dug so much deeper at CCU than what I found in other facilities I had talked to or companies I had talked to, which is like I said another facet of choosing a dog trainer are you just going to tell me pretty words and promise the results that you know i want you to promise me or are you actually going to deliver those results in a way that's sustainable and it's going to be a lifestyle change rather than the dog behaves for two weeks and then goes back to whatever he's doing
0: yeah or you you know you have to do this this and this in order for it to work you know um Mm -hmm. modifying behavior right And there's a lot of studies on this, you know, let's take human behavior as as the the line, right? I speak clear English. You speak clear English. I can tell you to stop smoking, right? That's a habit. Does it mean it's going to change because I told you to do it or I slapped your hand away, right? Some people quit smoking pretty quickly. Some take a long time to quit smoking. Some take more invasive measures to teach to not smoke. Uh, and and those habits once embedded in that dog for one reason or another, some change very rapidly and some take more time. You can never speed that process up ever. Yeah. Not for it to be sustainable. Yes. We can put pain compliance on a dog. You can use all these different things to to try to do that. But then what's the result of that later, right? Because what's the net result? And what I mean by that is we can deposit all this training right here, utilizing techniques or tools and all this stuff. But what is it going to affect later on? in two or three weeks with that dog. Fearfulness or other behavioral patterns that are created because you tried to fix that one issue. And, you know, again, we can go back to a ton of studies that just show how much it takes to really truly change behavior. I tell people this all the time. At the end of the day, the more clients I can get in that door, the more money I make. So it makes more sense for me to try to rush or us to rush the uh the process. Yeah. But we truly want sustainable results for our clients. And with that being said, I don't know how long it's going to take to change that behavior. But we're going to find the best method. We're going to use all of our resources to dig into that and do whatever it takes. Uh, barring the mental and the physical health of that dog. We will never jeopardize that. And we have clients that are trying to pressure us into doing that. <laughs> just do this. Just do that. I've seen this on YouTube. I get that. But you don't know the results of that on certain dogs with certain behaviors. And when you mix things up sometimes, you don't know the toxicity of that until it hits your nose and you you die from it. Yep. And in that case, we're not willing to take those chances because your dog's not an experiment to us. We we don't want to cause more problems by trying to fix this one or two problems that you have. We'll just take our time, we'll monitor behavior, and we'll change it as rapidly as it'll allow us to change it. And, you know, unfortunately, not everybody has the budgets sometimes that it takes, mm-hmm. you know, but I had a good trainer friend of mine that used to always say this. I'm a trainer, not a magician. I can't wave <laughs> my magic wand over things and all of a sudden it changes. You know, he is a long-time trainer, mm-hmm. um, and many, many, many dogs, and a lot of resources at his disposal. And and you know, we say that behavior not changed until it's relatively permanent and in various environments and circumstances. Mm-hmm. So yes, I can change it right here at our facility but it doesn't do you any good because you don't live at our facility. Absolutely. So we, it has to transition into all the other environments. If not, it's not changed.
1: Yeah. That's one thing that I really noticed when I got my second dog, Dusa. was I've always thought kind of a little bit simpler. A dog's a dog. You train a dog, sit, stay down, whatever. And then I got my second dog and I was like, Wow, this dog is completely different from my first dog. She's a different breed, but also just like the way she learns is different. The things that she finds value in, completely different. Dottie, I could just give her treats and praise and she's happy. Dusa, it took forever to find a toy or a treat that she would work for and she wanted that and that was worth it for her. And, you know, I had to work through that with my trainer a lot just to figure out, you know, what made her, what to her was a fair payment. Because at the end of the day, that's one of the biggest things I learned when I was looking for a dog trainer. Training's supposed to be fun. I don't want to go somewhere and watch a guy snatch my dog around on a leash or or zap the e-collar over and over. Because the dog doesn't like that. They don't know what's going on. What I want to see is the dog having fun. And I can tell you, these dogs love training. They love being there. And I can see, especially with Deuce, I see her wheels turning in her head. Like she's trying to figure out what's going on. And that's always so worth it as a dog owner because it makes my life easier, yes, but also to see her fulfilled.
0: Yeah, you you know, even at a, as a trainer, we build bonds with the dogs that we, we have the opportunity to train. And it's always good to see that dog and that dog perks up and he's happy to see you. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah, you know, like the dog's engaged and it's like a student sitting in your classroom that's just like happy to be in your classroom to learn something from you. And that's where you get the best results, right? Because even if we have to correct behavior, it's never meant to beat the dog down per se. It's right. meant to boost and show clarity to the dog. And, you know, obviously I can go back to the Bible, right? Don't spare the rod. You can go back to raising kids, right? They, you you can let that kid find out that the stove is hot or you can tell them it's hot don't touch it or you can smack their hand to teach them not to touch it but either way it's meant in a positive nature so that the person doesn't get hurt right but sometimes some kids learn by saying hey don't touch that it's hot and they don't some kids they have to touch the stove and get burned to learn that it's hot and some kids you have to smack their hand and say don't do that but it's not meant to break their spirit. It's not meant to, it's meant to give them clarity in what is right and what is wrong. But if the dog doesn't understand what's being taught to them, there's no way to hold them accountable for that either. So we have to spend a process of bonding and giving the dog assurance that they can trust us and also discovering what they like best. Because if Maya Simpson loves to work for me to tell her after each day to say, hey, Maya, you did a great job today, then I should give her what she wants. But if Maya Simpson wants a salary every week, then I should give her a salary every week, right? Mm -hmm. Think about law enforcement. They're not in law enforcement for the money they're in it because they truly want to help people. Mm -hmm. And that's the reward. That's the true reward that those men and women have a dog is very similar to that they work or want to please their owner for maybe love and affection some want treats some want a ball some want to you know play with a rag you know mm-hmm. but it's whatever they find enjoyment of and we spend time discovering that as well because we we want the dog to have value in what they're doing and and the reasons behind why they need to sit down patiently because they're striving for that love and affection, that food reward or that toy reward or uh, other assurances. So it's important that we go through those phases as well to to get to that point. Was that a cow? (laughs) No,
1: she Uh groans like she's right here. She groans like that. (laughs) I don't know why she does that. She always has. So another thing, kind of going back to what we were talking about with correcting a dog, and there are times that they need to be corrected. One of the biggest things that I misunderstood as someone who was originally looking for a trainer was there are so many different avenues of training, and each one is going to apply, you know, better or worse to a different dog. Kind of going back to what we talked about with Dottie and Dusa having completely different learning styles, I liked having a trainer who told me, "Hey, we're not going to say this is out of the picture, not an option. This is still an option, but right now I think this is a better avenue." So, for example, um, I was talking to my trainer Simon recently about potentially doing an e-collar for Dusa, just as we start putting some more OB on her, and he was like, "Why do you want to put an e-collar on her?" And I was like, "I don't know. I just figured, you know, we'll put an e-collar on her." He's like, no, "No, no, like, you know, let's." See what we can do ahead of time, or I see what we can do with training and one on one. I'm sorry. (laughs) With training.
0: That's good sound effects.
1: (laughs) With training and one on one sessions. And then if we need an e caller, we'll put an e caller on her. Now, when I was originally looking for a trainer for Dottie with resource guarding issues, I had a couple of trainers say, no problem, like we'll try an e caller on her immediately. They hadn't met her. They definitely hadn't evaluated her. All they knew was what I was telling them, which for all they knew, I could have been completely wrong. I could have had no idea what I was talking about and she wasn't actually resource guarding. But they were like, yeah, we'll get an e-collar on her and be done with it. Again, things I've learned in the year I've been training, I know now, like there's a little bit more that goes into it than, hey, let's slap an e-collar on her, hit the remote a couple of times and you'll have a perfectly behaved dog. That's not... Realistic, I guess I should say, um, for long-term change.
0: Yeah, you know, every tool that we use, we always say that's something we have to train off of. Because if you are telling me that you want an obedient dog and modify behaviors, well, that means we've truly modified the behavior. We haven't patched it with utilizing this tool every tool has a specific use where it is beneficial e-callers or remote trainers whatever term you're used to hearing definitely not shot caller but e-train <laughs> uh, yeah e-caller or remote trainer are the proper terms they it does have its use case but there's a lot that can also go wrong with that and for a trainer not to evaluate the use of the tools or the techniques that they're using and make a decision based on behavior of the dog versus just what they want to try i'm the first one to tell you that is absolutely wrong you know um, and yes i can give advice all day long i can do so many podcasts so many things and talk about training probably for the next year and not cover the same topic just based on experience the things that was always hard for us on the reasons why i was so reluctant to do things online was because i never want anybody to take what we're telling them and say this is what you do in every single situation my advice is always to consult with a professional trainer that gets to see the behaviors gets to see what's going on analyze the root cause of what's going on see the demeanor and the way your dog learns best and start modifying behavior that is always 100 percent my go-to when it comes to hey I just want to talk to a trainer and get some advice well here's my advice bring your dog in and let us look at them let us see what's going on so we can give you the best advice and that best advice might be go to another trainer take your dog to a medical facility and get them checked out because we have some other concerns it could be hey just do this you'll be fine you know or you know there's a number of reasons why giving phone advice or taking a video and going, let me just try that. I've seen so many bad things come out of that, that we're so cautious about doing that just because, especially if we don't know the dog now, the great thing about it, Maya, is you're in a situation where we know your dog now. So you can pick up the phone and go, hey, this is what I'm doing. And your trainer can go, yeah, I know your dog. I know how your dog learns, do this. And your dog will understand. Oh, okay. And I but have done that a couple of
1: times with time. And I'm like, hey, this is going on. I need help. I just talked to him at work too. I'll be like, hey, so she started a new thing. I don't know how to address it. He's like, oh, I'll try this. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And I think that's also one of the benefits to having a trainer that you build a relationship with, um, which obviously I do work for the yeah. company. So I do see everyone five days a week. But even whenever I was only a client, at the same time, I was seeing the same trainer every week. And at the end of every session, I was getting trainer notes, which told me, now this could just be a custom K Unlimited thing, but as far as I know, it is actually. At the end of every session, I would get notes emailed to me about which dog they trained, what the, how long the set was, what they trained, and my homework for the week. And I cannot tell you how helpful that was for me because if there was ever any question about how did he correct it or at what point did he correct you know how do i address this behavior in the house i had those notes to reflect back on and kind of you know review our session but also review what needs to be done by our next session
0: yeah the 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 downfall to that Maya, is when we talk to a client and they're like hey the dog's doing this okay did you read my notes that i just sent you <laughs> or that i emailed you did you get them yeah i got them did you look at them well no i just Well, it it explains clearly what you need to be doing and how we need to modify this behavior. Um, So, you know, it's good and bad in a lot in a lot of ways, but, you know, the the trainers spend a lot of time documenting these things to help. And it's one more form of learning. Right. Uh, I was just reading a study today about actually about how much humans learn from their eyes like the, the statistics are astonishing that on how much, and they said, th- the study actually said they believe like even half the brain is contributed, contrib- is contributed through the eyes. Wow. I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, but they said up to half the brain, how did they put it? Anyway, it was 50, 50% of the brain was dedicated to sight or learn from sight. Uh, it was astonishing because, but my point behind that is, is you're told in the training session, so, and then you're shown in the training session, and then you get to read. So two-thirds of that learning process for the owner is through sight. Yeah. Uh, they're hearing it, they're seeing it live, and then now they're reading it again and regurgitating it again. So it's just us also trying to tap into the most resources to allow that client to learn as much as possible through our training because it's just as much for the for the owner as it is for the dog right because we can't be there all the time and if habits go back to the same thing that it was doing beforehand then all the training was for nothing
1: yeah and i think this is not a question i would have had before i started training but a question i would advise people to I don't know if this is something you would ask, but just observe. Is the trainer training your dog or is the trainer teaching you how to communicate with your dog? That was the biggest thing with my trainer. is he, First of all, he got me very involved with the training. But he also made sure that I understood how to communicate to Dottie and then later to Dusa what I needed from them. What they were supposed to do, what this command meant. Whereas, you know, before I wouldn't have really thought. This leash is a tool. That's not something I ever thought. I put the leash on the dog, we go outside, go for a walk, take the leash off inside. The leash is such a tool, more so than anything else really could be, I would think, because of how well I'm able to communicate with the dog, which is in part because my trainer took the time to make sure that I understood how to communicate effectively. He taught me how to communicate effectively with the leash, and because of that, I was able to take our training plus the homework and do training outside of. Um, our sessions our booked sessions which like you had spoken before you know sometimes budget is an issue at the time that I originally got Dottie in training I was still in college I was very much not I was making a little bit above minimum wage at that point and I made uh, weekly sessions is what we did once a week for an hour but during that hour I was given the tools for the rest of the week to use and the homework for the rest of the week to fill in those times those gaps and obviously at that point, if the trainer had seen any behaviors that made him think I was doing something incorrectly, he could address that too.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's the joy of the one-on-one sessions is the fact that, yes, you're you're either going to att- attack training one or two ways, right? Either you're going to pay us for our time to do it for you, or you're going to be a part of it so that you can take away some of that expense by taking on some of the work that we would normally do at our facility or with the trainer you know being with you so uh, and we we try to explain that to our clients like one-on-one sessions are great as long as you do what you're told to do we can develop the training plan as necessary we can modify that training plan to reach your goals but just remember, it means that you have to put in the work. If not,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: then you need to pay us to do it. And if mm-hmm. you want to pay us to do it, it's fine. We can do that. It's just a, it's going to cost you a little bit more. But if you're willing to be involved, you're willing to follow instructions, you can get the same results. But you got to be diligent. you got to be black and white like we are. We communicate very clearly with the dog and we'll teach you how to do that. But. You can't say, okay, I'll do it, and then go home and do something totally opposite and say, well, I'm not getting the results. Well, yeah, because you're not following the instructions. You got to yeah. do it. And that's why we get the results we get is because we're very black and white, and we control it We until we shape the behavior, until we get over the curve, uh, the learning plateau, if you will, and go through the chaos of behavioral change and what that takes. And then we get on the other side of the storm and then we're like, wow, look at this. But most owners just Mm -hmm. don't want to put in that time and they don't want to do that. The ones that do are very, very successful in, in following through with the plan. But we try to educate our our clients for that purpose as well. So that they clearly understand the difference between the programs.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: My, if you can, so can we go over the, let's say the, your list of things that you're looking for in a trainer. Right. Yeah. So we we did a lot of talking up until this point, giving clear explanations to those that are listening or watching. But I want you to kind of give them a recap, if you will, as to those points that you're going to be looking for in a trainer.
1: Yeah. So first thing I'm going to look for in a trainer, knowing what I know now, what health requirements do you have? for the dog you know what are your intake processes i guess you could say are you checking over the dog are you checking their vet records um are you looking at the overall health of the dog second thing i'm always going to look for which i'm very fortunate because i have my forever trainers but (laughs) second thing that i would look for if i was looking for a trainer again can they adjust their training methods based on the dog in front of them i don't want to see them using the same training method that works for one dog but clearly isn't working for another dog Third thing I'm always going to look for, I just want you to be honest. You know, don't promise big things. Don't promise you're going to fix a year's worth of behavioral issues in a week. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that you're going to give me the tools that I need um, and the behavioral changes my dog needs for a lifestyle change. I don't want a quick fix. I want to know that we can make this happen to benefit her life and my life. Also, again, knowing what I know now, I want to know why you're doing something. So if you as a trainer can't explain to me why you're suggesting we use treats or why you suggest we use an e-collar, if there is a a case where a trainer suggests that to me, I want you to be able to tell me why. Why are you correcting at this point? Why does my dog need to be in a perfect heel? Obviously, we know the answers, but I want you as the trainer to be able to explain it to me because that tells me that you've done your research and you have the experience to you know, be hands-on a dog with me paying for it.
0: And hey, that's a great list. You know, the the why is so important
1: uh, because,
0: yeah, understanding why you would do this or why you make this decision, you know, or it's okay to say, I don't know, but let me check with some other resources and let me get back to you. A client would respect that a lot more than you going, let me just fumble through this. Let me throw up a bunch of, let me just talk in circles until you get tired, but never really say anything. Um, I've, I've heard that countless times. Um, I was interviewing a trainer that literally talked me in circles about what they would do in a certain situation. <laughs> and I'm thinking you do realize I'm not one of your clients. Like I, I know what you're talking about. Like, and I know mm-hmm. what the answer should be, but you just really just talk in circles for five minutes about absolutely nothing and never ever addressed my real question and i cannot stand that if you don't know just say you don't know i'm okay with that like i will respect you 100 percent with you saying you know i never dealt with that before however i know some people let me talk to them let me get some guidance and if i don't feel like i can handle this let me get it to somebody else that i know they can but let's get into it and see what we got and then we can go from there how about that And, you know, clients would respect that so much more than you just talking around, you know, you may not know dogs, but you're not an idiot. And, and I think oftentimes as trainers, we, we talk down to people like they're idiots because they're asking us to train their dog. 99.9999% of all clients are not idiots. They just, they need help. And so Mm -hmm. we need to help them and show them that we know what we're talking about by clearly explaining why we're gonna do and take the path we're taking at this point. And if we change, it's because of X, Y, Z. It's not because, oh, well, that's not working. So let's try this now. Right. That's not working because of this. And because of that, we're gonna go and do this. But for whatever reason, that doesn't happen all the time. And it really gets under my skin sometimes. Um, So a trainer can do everything right and still be 100% wrong because they don't know why they're doing it. And that's something we preach all the time to our students because it's so important that you know why you're doing something, not just trying a bunch of stuff out. It's a progressive measure to get to a certain point where I decide to use this particular tool or this particular approach, even with a boarding train. I remember I had a client that said, hey, I want to just put my dog in boarding train. And I'm like, why? Well, because uh, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, you don't need a boarding train. What you need is some more dedicated training to help you one-on-one to do it. And I think your dog will excel by you doing one-on-ones. Because at the end of the day, I still have to. Get you to a point where you can handle this dog, and this just happened to be a civilian client, but they were adamant. Let me throw you know seven thirty a week at you, so you can just fix my dog. And I was like, no, we're not at that point, and I don't really truly believe you need that. You need to do your one on one sessions twice a week, which is one hundred <laughs> and ninety eight dollars versus seven hundred and thirty dollars. I think you'll get better results by going that route instead because that's truly what i'm seeing with you and your dog and lo and behold it worked out and that's the important facet of analyzing behavior culminating everything that you're reading with this situation having some past knowledge of the dog and the client and then making informed decisions on on the training path for this particular client i.e. dog and or owner. And and that's so important. So as a recap, you gave five great points. And I know there were some questions that, you know, you say that people should ask of their trainer. And I think it's important to go through that because your first contact with that trainer is an interview or it should be, right? You should ask knowledgeable questions. You should ask legitimate questions uh, and and ask questions not tell the trainer and we have a lot of clients that do that they call us and try to tell us what we're going to do or you know the dog's doing this and i want to do this well that's fine but what you're not considering is the thousands of dogs before your dog that we trained and just because you read it or you've seen one dog do it doesn't mean that this dog is gonna should be trained the same way and um but there are some questions that you as a client should ask and i want you to kind of go over those and um and i know some of these are compiled from other people as well you know you kind of interviewed them and came up with a list of questions that people should ask and maybe some answers that they should probably hear or something along those lines to to make sure that they're hearing the correct thing from these trainers. So let's start off with the first question. What's the first question somebody should ask?
1: So it's going to depend. I want to go back to what you said. The first time you make contact with your trainer, 100% should be an interview. It should feel like an interview. It should feel like he's asking or she's asking you a bunch of questions and you don't know the point of all of them because that tells me as a client right there that this is someone who's looking out for me long term they're looking for that lifestyle change they're not looking to make 100 200 500 off of me and my dog with no results um first thing that i want someone to ask me why do you think that's a problem going back to the why that's going to be the biggest one and it's going to go both ways why do i think it's a behavioral problem why do i think it's resource guarding as her owner but also why do you want to use that training tactic? So that why is going to be the biggest thing. I want them to ask questions. Um, also, obviously, we kind of touched on this before. What health requirements, you know, need to be met before my dog ever steps ground, whether you run out of your home or if you have a facility. You know, if you run it out of your home and you have pets, I would still expect there to be some sort of health requirements. Um, next, I would, you know, I would just ask them. Quite frankly, maybe. If I tell you I don't want any collar, or I tell you I only want positive training, what's your response to that? Are you just going to say, okay? I don't necessarily want you to say, okay. I want you to tell me what's best for my dog because you're the expert. I don't need you to say, you as the client, you want to do positive only. Okay, I want you to say, I understand that. Um, I'll take a look at your dog. We'll see if that's a method we can use. And if not, we'll discuss other avenues from there. Because at the end of the day, I want what's best for my dog, and if she learns better with a different style of training, so be it. Uh, also, and maybe the most important is going to be what training do you have as a trainer? Who trained you? What kind of training? What style of training did you receive? And what experience have you gained? We talked about this with Deb actually um, in the Kennel Master podcast from last week. Is you know you can go to our Kennel Master courses two weeks, right? But there is so much hands-on experience that has to be done before you are actually a kennel master. That that sort of thing is going to apply to a trainer in your client size. I want to know that you've been hands-on. I don't want to know that you necessarily took a course online and didn't have any hands-on application. If I go to your facility and an out of control dog greets me at the front, <laughs> jumping all over people, barking, whatever, your dog is your portfolio. Your dogs are your portfolio. Whether that's client or personal dogs, that's what I want to see. So I'm going to ask, what training do you have? What experience do you have? Whose dogs have you trained? Your own? Your family? Do you have testimonials I can see? Do you have reviews? Are there videos? Do you have social media pages? As a client, there's a good chance I've already scoured your social media. um, But at the same time, I want to see what you're proud of.
0: Yeah, you know, and I like that, right? Because it's so important that you feel comfort in the person you're gonna work for, uh, work with. And at the same time, it's important that the person that's gonna work with you is comfortable with you, right? I don't go to work to have bad days. I go to work because I love doing what I do. I love training. I love the people I work around. I love the students. I have an opportunity every day to meet and greet in the morning. I don't go to work to have a bad day and I'm darn sure not going to take on a client that I know our personalities don't match. Furthermore, I had to be quite honest. I'm not training anybody that doesn't have the best interest of their dog at heart. If you really want training and you really want to fix these problems, I'm all in 100%. I'm probably going to go overboard. I'm probably going to be the one that's checking on you. That's, Like, hey, what are we looking at? I'm the one that says, okay, let me go pick up your dog in the middle of the day so I can continue training on some things that I want to work on with you because you're a great client. But if you're sitting there telling me what to do, you're sitting there trying to, oh, I read this on the internet or I heard this or I did this with my last dog. I get that 100%. But I don't go to the doctor's office and tell him how to perform surgery. That's his job. That's his expertise. Give me the guidance. Tell me what I need, doc. And I'll follow your lead. And I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I read on the internet that I got cancer. So, and this is the treatment I should have. Yeah, it's good to be informed so that you know you're getting the right answers to the questions you're asking, or at least something along that line. But it should be a two-way street. And it should be the fact that you're truly trying to find the best trainer for you and, and i'm a firm believer in that find the trainer that that fits you best yes go into a knowledgeable and somebody that you truly feel that can help you and if, if the best fit is over there go over there i i 100 promote that but as a client you also need to kind of let this be an informative in a relationship building conversation in that interview where you can really find out the qualifications of this person. That is, you're going to trust to spend a lot of time with your dog and, and ultimately you're going to spend a lot of time with it's, it's so important.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've reached out to a couple other people as well, including some of our law enforcement handlers. And they had said, you know, one of their questions is going to be how reliable are your canines?" You can put all of these cool videos out here. You can tell me that, you know, you have X amount accuracy. You can show me your training methods, but what I want to know is how reliable are your canines and what is it going to look like whenever I'm working at one of your dogs that you've trained. I know that's going to apply to the canine handlers, but it's also going to apply to the civilian side because if you can put a leash on my dog and she walks in a perfect heel beside you, but the minute that I get my hands on the leash, she's pulling me and everything's going crazy as the trainer, if you can't relay that information to me properly, um, you know, how to communicate with her, maybe we don't mesh well. Maybe there's a better way of communication between the two of us as humans, so that way I can communicate better to her as as my dog. Um, you know, what methods are you using to train? This kind of goes back to what we had talked about. There's, you know, there's a line where it becomes, there's a correction, and there's a line where it becomes something else, and as a trainer you should never be putting a dog in your care in that situation you know even saying that if there is a correction going back to what I said tell me why tell me what body language you read to to know that she was gonna if you're doing behavior modification for example with um, reactivity and you correct can you explain to me the timeline of that where you were like hey her body language is changing here so I need to correct before this I'm not a trainer, so I may not be using the right terminology, (laughs) but, um, you know, that's kind of the thing I'm going to look at. If you're going to use certain methods, can you explain to me why those are the best methods for my dog? That why is really it. That should just be the title. Why, you know, why should I choose your company? Why do you use this training method? Why should, you know, I trust my dog in your care, whether it's boarding, training, no matter what, I've always known that when my leash, my dog's leash goes into the trainer or the kennel tech's hand. It's never a concern. And that is also something, as a client, if you feel unsure, find someone else. You know, you should have 100% faith in the company you're leaving your dogs with, 100%. Their cleanliness, their health, their staffing standards, everything.
0: Yeah, it's hard, you know, because, you know, even my wife having dogs, she's just not going to leave her dogs with anybody. Now, I'm not to say And, and, and I want people to understand we're not looking for perfection because anytime humans are involved, there's always human error involved, right? But you truly want somebody at, in their heart that wants the best for your dog. You truly want somebody that has the best interest of your dog, always at the forefront, even if they do wrong per se or something happens you know it wasn't anything malicious it wasn't because of their standards it was just because it was an accident and, and that's that's so important uh in that in that case where you know i've had uh, had a trainer one time that went through the trainer's course he opened up a kennel and the dog uh, somebody came into his kennel he had two gates to not allow the dogs out someone left the back gate open he walks through and as soon as he opens that for that second gate uh the dog burst through and was able to get out the second gate and you know but but he had everything in place to make it work yeah it just it, it was an accident and so do you crucify that guy for that i say no i say it's yeah. it's an accident but the client knows what his standards were the client okay. sees the, the things that he has in place to prevent certain things from happening. But just like with anything, things fail, things don't go right. The, the, the perfect storm happens and something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's just you want the questions answered in a way that's reliable, trustworthy, and the person you're talking to is talking to you with assurance, with 100%. confidence, with really that passion that you can read from that body language because most times if it doesn't feel right in your heart, it's mm-hmm. probably not right. Something's yep. off. So you should trust that gut feeling and just find someone you have a better feeling with, I guess is the best way after you ask those questions.
1: Absolutely. And you know, even if worst case scenario for any trainer, it would be their worst day. If something happens and the dog, you know, escapes. As a client, I just want you to be honest with me. I just want you to say, hey, this is what happened. And here's what we're doing to fix it. And I think that's, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, honesty. You know, just tell me the truth. I don't need you to blow smoke and mirrors. I just need you to tell me the truth about what I can expect.
0: So as, as a recap, my, you know, for the, to, to reinforce the learning process, right? You gave us five mm-hmm. points um what you're going to be looking for in a company as a client can you recap your questions really quick on those questions if you're going to ask of that company when you do that initial contact and you do that initial interview if you will
1: yeah so first thing i'm going to ask is why should i choose your company i feel like that's just getting the first one i'm not necessarily looking for a company to tell me that they're the greatest training company that's ever been, they have revolutionary methods. I'm looking for someone to be honest with me about why my dog fits with their company and why I, as the dog owner would fit with their trainer. Next thing I want to know, or I'm going to ask what vaccines do you require? What are your health requirements in general? Then I want you to be able to tell me that I'm going to ask you, you know, if I tell you, I don't want to do a certain style of training, what's your response to that? Um, Are you going to tell me, okay, that's great, sure thing, we'll do whatever the client wants? Are you going to tell me, hey, your dog's going to benefit if we could use this other style of training that's less aversive, whatever? And then I want to know what training do you or your your staff have, whether that's you as the trainer, if you have kennel technicians, if you have a kennel master. I want to know what training you have and what experience you have.
0: That's a great, you know, and it doesn't seem like it's very intense, right? You're not, this doesn't take four hours of interview time to to get the answers you need i mean you went through those questions in a matter of a minute so -hmm. it's going to probably take six or seven minutes maybe 10 minutes for that person to spend some time to say hey this is what we do this is how we do it these are our standards and this is what i think that we need to do to start off how many people contact us in a week that go I want training. I want to do a boarding train, and my first rebuttal is okay. I get that. What are you dealing with, and why do you think a boarding train is your best option? And mm-hmm. because I just want to hear what their responses are, and I want to know like, well, you know, I want to hear something from a client side that goes, well, listen, I I work Monday through Friday. I don't have time. The dog doesn't get training, so they're learning all these bad behaviors, and. I want to get a good start to my training and then be be integrated into the process once we get a good solid handle on this dog. And you get to learn my dog during that time. Whereas then I can, I feel like I can transition to one on one training at that point and do this. Or on the flip side, I need one on one training because I feel like I want to be involved in the training. I want to, you know, be a vital part of that. I can follow instructions and I want to learn and I want to learn with my dog. And I think it's a great bonding experience. I think it can be a great hobby for us to come out and train together. And wow. Like that's that as, as a trainer, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear this is why, and I want to get that feedback. What I don't want to hear is, you know, oh, I don't know. So, I, so in this conversation thus far we've talked about what clients should be looking for in their trainer what questions they should answer i want to give a perspective from things i know about the industry and some things that from an industry standard even though there's no specific dog trainer licenses per se or there's no industry standards i don't have to go to the state and get an a license to practice dog training, like a pharmacist right. or uh, even a security guard. But there are some some things that trainers should have to to kind of show you that they are a professional. Because there's absolutely a different standard between being a hobby or dog training being a hobby and dog training being a profession. And there's a couple things that we should do as a professional to assure our clients that we are legitimate. And some of that is, is the fact that the first thing I shouldn't be doing is bashing another company and their training methodologies and what they do or what I've heard they've done. And maybe don't even have firsthand experience about it. Maybe I heard it from a disgruntled client. Maybe they just didn't get along and then I'm regurgitating that to other people to try to get them to buy into our company that's the first thing as a professional you don't do that in my opinion you explain to people what you do and what you excel in and what you're comfortable in doing and allow those people to make informed decisions based on that not not based on how much dirt you can put on somebody else that more than likely is probably not true or a fraction of the truth Um, so i'm a big proponent in that i'm a big proponent in, hey stick to what you know and even with our trainers even if we have firsthand knowledge you will never use that as an example on why somebody should use you as their trainer okay because we're professionals and we we should respect what everybody else does because i think everybody in this industry has a purpose how limited it is or how valuable it is will depend on their knowledge and their experience. So in that case, we should support other small businesses and we should not utilize them to obtain work because I would just as well say if you feel more comfortable going over there and they provide the services at the level you like, please 100% go train with them because You're going to enjoy the experience better. Right. If that doesn't work out for whatever reason, we're fine to provide some services to you, but I'm not going to use that bad experience to capitalize on that little bit of gain just for that nature. So that would be the first thing I kind of make mention of as a professional that from a professional standpoint, if somebody is bashing another company to get your business, stay away from it it's gonna be a toxic relationship at best, okay? The other thing that I would say and I would look for is that company being licensed, okay? So especially in the state of Georgia and every state's a little bit different, those kennels need to be licensed by the Department of Agriculture, which holds them to a certain standard and requires them to adhere to certain sanitation standards and things of that nature. which also allows them to be inspected as many times as the Department of Agriculture sees fit, which also requires them to pay for that license every year. So there are some requirements there that they adhere to by obtaining those licenses, okay? Now, it's not a license that says they're qualified to have a kennel. It just says that they're meeting the state standards. But again, that's just one element that should be adhered to. But it is just one element to the big overarching picture that a trainer is trying to paint for you. Yes, and it it doesn't matter if they're a big kennel, a small kennel, if it's one dog, if they are doing it for money, they have to be licensed by the state department of agriculture if they are commercialized which means they're taking money for their services they have to be licensed the other thing that i would ensure that they have is is insurance and again yeah. it's a legitimate C thing uh, but at the end of the day all businesses should be insured just like car insurance and in order to obtain insurance the insurance evaluates risk right so this is the underlying reason why they should have insurance is because that insurance doesn't want to take on a company where there's elevated risk and outside of their expertise so what i mean by that is if i wasn't a dog trainer and i just wanted to open up a dog business the first thing they made me do originally on liability insurance was submit our qualifications to them why are we qualified to provide dog training? Why are we qualified to handle dogs? Because again, remember an insurance company evaluates risk and they don't wanna take on risk or more risk than they have to. So that's why they require some fact finding in order to give liability insurance. So it's not because I want a training company to have insurance because to spend money, but it's more for the client's sake when they go, Oh, they have insurance, which means that at least on face value, somebody looked at some qualifications to say that we're willing to insure that and take on that risk. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just one more little piece to the puzzle. It's not the end all be all, but it's just one more little click where you go, okay, we're starting to lean more towards legitimacy, if you will, because of these things. The next thing that I would look at is what training does their staff members have? So let me delve into this just a little bit, right? Because, and the reason why I wanna make this point is because because we don't have standards per se that test us as trainers, we should be obtaining study, we should be, obtaining training from reputable schools in order to teach us how to train dogs. Now, there's nothing to say you can't be self-taught. But remember when I began this podcast and I started off by saying that for two years I did, I trained dogs. After receiving proper training, I still was not comfortable charging people for dog training. And I went to them and asked people if I could train their dogs or help them so that I can learn more, but I also wouldn't charge them because I was still learning. Because the moment I started taking money, I was considered a professional. And when I'm training people's dogs as a professional, I'm held to a different standard with that. And that training should include for that trainer, and you touched on it a little bit, not just the online book work. I gotta be able to read behavior. I gotta be able to feel what that dog feels like. I gotta have standards of training that I have developed based on my experience, right? It's not by the numbers, it is by what I'm reading from that behavior. And if you think about it, guys, who goes to a psychiatrist that hasn't had any field work? that's only read a book about behavior or BF Skinner or Pavlov and goes, okay, well, because I read this book, now I can go train this dog or I can do behavior mods on this dog or I can start training protection dogs and I'm gonna do this and try this. And next thing you know, you have a whole bunch of problems. So my suggestion is, you know, And if somebody finds it rude that you ask these questions, then you probably want to stay away from that anyway. (laughs) But where did you get your training? Now, again, I was self-taught. I've trained numerous dogs. And then I went and got professional training from here. You know, that's training and experience, right? And then I would lean more towards client reviews because maybe the education is not up to par where it should be. Okay, But that's also a personal preference. It's also one of those things where uh, you just have to evaluate the totality of this. But some of the things that you might might want to look for in their training is this, first and foremost, they should have training in dog care and treatment. How do they care for dogs and how do they treat dogs? They should have specific training about those topics also dog nutrition they should be versed in dog nutrition first aid so if something happens on the training field or during training they know how to take the first aid steps to give you the best advice on how to take care of this but also in first aid it teaches them what to look for when something's not right how to examine the body what the the physiological parts of the body are, but also what they should feel like, what they should look like, what the gait is of that dog and what that gait should look like, what's proper weight for a particular dog, how to assess that. And then it will also teach them that they're not a vet either. So they shouldn't be diagnosing your dog. They should give you the advice of, hey, something's not right, take your dog to the vet to be evaluated and assessed because something's not, not right, but they should also be teaching you as the client what to be looking for. What are early signs that something is not right? So they should also be taking time out of training to give you those pointers on what you should be looking for in their urine, in their defecation, in their eating habits, in their drinking habits, how to protect against heat stress, how to protect against bloat, common ailments that we find in our industry should be prevented and taught and taught to you on how to prevent those things to include the trauma that can happen to your dog's nails if it continues to hit the ground so you might want to cut them so again how to groom your dog how to use the grooming process as a way to examine that dog to keep that dog's health at the highest standards They should also be trained in dog behavior. How to read dog behavior. Because there's subtle signs that dogs give us in their behavior that tell us what they're thinking, what they're doing, or what they're about to do. And changing behavior starts there. It doesn't start after the action has happened. And that's so important for a dog trainer to know. Next thing, they should have a toolbox of training techniques. And I know that a lot of people believe in positive training. I am one of those people. I know Maya's looking at me crazy, (laughs) right? Because that's the absolute truth. It absolutely is. But let me tell you what positive training really is. Is positive training the illusion that you're giving the dog something good such as food? Or is positive training really something that gives the dog enjoyment no matter what the object is so Mm. i give this example because of this if i give the dog food and the dog hates food or it makes it obese then i'm just giving the dog something that satisfies my urges and my connotations of being positive because the net result of my training is causing health issues Or what if, because I feed the dog food rewards all the time, the dog begins to counter surf or dig in your trash can. So now my net process of training has caused other issues for you. So I've caused more problems than I have helped the issue because I only believe in giving food reward. Every single reward should be positive for the dog. But I, as a trainer, should find out what the best Reward for that train for that dog is so I should be well versed in techniques to really put that dog in the best environment for their success. Yep, they should enjoy training, they should want to please, and we should communicate at their level. So, guess who, what part of that equation determines whether something is positive or negative training? It is not me as the trainer, it is 100% the dog's responsibility to tell me what they like and don't like. And it's up to me as a trainer to read that because I want to 100% give the dog the best enjoyment possible. That's what re- true positive training is, is tapping into the dog psychology to figure out how they best learn. Where my net result is not to cause more problems than good. So I want people to really understand what positive training really is. It's not my perspective as the trainer, it's the dog's perspective. And we have to tap into that. So it's not the tangible item that you give them that makes it positive. And that's what a lot of people really truly believe. And people ask that loaded question. Do you do positive training? Absolutely. But does that mean I'm gonna give your dog food every time? No. Would yep. it? Absolutely. But I'm also not going to tell you that I'm giving the dog food every time because that may not be the case. They may mm-hmm. like a ball. They may like love and affection. They may not like any of that. <laughs> but I don't know that. But what I can guarantee you is every single moment is meant to put the dog in the best learning environment for itself. And it's my job as a trainer to figure out what that is. 100 percent so that the dog can be successful and learn from the process in the best way possible so again a trainer that has been taught many techniques and is willing to do what's best for the dog in every single case contrary to your influences or to your beliefs or to what you think is best if it aligns with the training process absolutely if it aligns with what i'm reading from the dog absolutely but i will not be swayed by you telling me what to do because i know the consequences of doing that and and then we've been in those situations and we've lost clients but at the end of the day we will not sacrifice that and we don't take those chances because it's not worth it by any means to do that and then lastly they should go through a course that tests them both in written exams and in practical exams so reliability comes from head knowledge but it also comes from application as well as a dog trainer and they should attend a course that tests both of those and and there should obviously should be documentation with the course they go through not that you need to see that but those are some of the things that i i would if they tell me they got training here, I'm gonna look up what their curriculum is for their in their standards or their trainers. In order to pass that trainer's course, what does that look like? And if you ever have questions, you can reach out to the company they received their certifications from or their training from and ask them, what are your standards for your trainers? And you can find that out pretty easily with any course probably by you know some quick emails or just looking on their website. Okay. And then lastly, I would ask about the training and experience in the areas that they're offering training for. And that's very important. Let me tell you why that's important, because if they receive training for obedience and they're telling you that they also do protection training, where do they obtain that experience from? Where do they obtain that training from? To address that specialty training that they're telling you that they can do. Likewise, even in in, in my case, I'm a very versed trainer. And I'm not saying that in a boastful way. I'm saying that to say, even as much experience that I have, there's still things that I stay away from. And I'll tell you, I stay away from hunting dogs. Can I teach a dog to track? Can I teach a dog a task? Can I teach a dog to sit in a blind still as i heard they're doing with hunting dogs um yes i can the problem is, is i've never hunted with a dog so right. i don't have the intimate knowledge and details it takes to truly train that dog to the highest standard because i'm missing pieces to that training because i don't hunt and i don't hunt with dogs so i would never take on that task because I've never done it. Again, I can teach the dog the task, but because I don't have the intimate knowledge, there's bits and pieces that I'm missing. Likewise, I'm a law enforcement person. My background is law enforcement. So I have intimate knowledge on things we can do and things we need to stay away from in training a police dog, because ultimately that handler Even though it looks cool or even though we can train the dog to do this, doesn't need to do this because it can lend towards problems for them later on in court or on a deployment. Because I have that intimate knowledge of that profession, how you deploy with a dog, what a handler goes through. But I don't have the experience of a bird dog trainer or somebody that hunts with bird dogs, so I stay away from it. And we don't take on those requests as we get several of those a year. So my point behind that is is making sure that that trainer has the training and experience directly related to the training that they're providing. And it's okay to ask, Mm -hmm. what training and experience do you have? So really quick as a recap, you wanna make sure that they are licensed, they have insurance, They have been trained by a reputable school to be a dog trainer, which includes several points that I won't list right now, and I'll tell you why here in just a minute. And they also have the training and experience related to the specific area of training that they're going to provide to you. The reason why I didn't mention that, and some of the reasons why I told all of you guys listening to this right now to make sure you made it to the end was because Maya Put together this great cheat sheet so what I need you to do is just go to our website go to the page and find this podcast
1: you can go to the link in the show notes and that'll bring you straight to this podcast episode and it's going to pop up with a pdf download of a cheat sheet on how to choose a trainer and this is going to be great if you're a client looking for someone to train your dog or if you're someone who owns or is thinking of owning a training business you need to know what clients look for. You need to know how to market yourself to them. Um, I have to say, even just listening to your points, I didn't even consider how valuable it was as a client, knowing that you were licensed and insured on top of that, knowing that the trainers had formal training.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's and um, Those are the things that happen in the background that nobody ever sees and the investments that a trainer makes that it may never come up in their career. But there's reasons why or should be reasons why they do everything. But as we wrap this up, I just want to reiterate to go to the show notes, get that cheat sheet, download it, put it on your refrigerator, make sure that you have it when you start looking for your next trainer. We also want to encourage each of you guys that are listening to us to also seize those opportunities to help somebody else out. So. If they don't know about this podcast, if they don't know about these resources, share it with them, send them a little text. Hey man, listen to this. They're talking about selecting a trainer and I heard you needed a trainer. Share it on your social media. Those are all avenues where you can pass the torch on and help somebody else out. I promise you they'll thank you for it because we thank you for being here and listening to us each week. We're excited about it. And uh, I got to spend a little bit of time with Maya today and talking through your perspective, what you researched in order to, to give everybody that's listening that best perspective possible in what they should be looking for in their trainer.
1: Absolutely. It was fun. I'm usually the background. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right, guys. Don't forget the source podcast coming to you every week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So come back and get your 15 minutes of fame with us on our short sets. We appreciate each and every one of you guys spending some time with us every week. Thank you guys.